one. We're going to come here to the end. I don't think that TV screen is on either, so that needs to be on, please, and thank you. So excited to be here with you guys. My goal would be to have my sermons go, you know, verse by verse like we've been doing, and then coming at the end, going through the whole chapter, just so we can keep up with what we're learning. I don't think I'll be able to read the whole book in one setting. We did that with Ephesians, if everybody remembered that. We ended the series on Ephesians by reading the entire book. So that could definitely happen. Uh, I'm just not thinking that will happen here. So let's start in Philippians chapter 1 and make sure that we're all caught up and just feel the flow of the letter here. So starting in verse 1, Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul and Timothy are together. And they are servants of Jesus Christ. No matter how high we get in the ministry, to the position of authority we get, we're never greater than being a servant. So everybody always remember that. We're never greater than being a servant. Now, they are with God's, or excuse me, writing to all of God's holy people. What's another word for holy people? Saints. Good. Does anybody know it in the Greek? Because I've said it quite a bit as well. Hagios in the Greek. In Christ Jesus, remember that term, in Christ Jesus, is the transformational position that Christians are now in. We are, now out, we are no longer outside of God. We are in Christ. We are in Him. That revelation cannot be overstated. Paul spent an entire book going through it, mainly Ephesians. Mainly Ephesians with the in Him revelation. At Philippi, that's a Roman colony. We've learned about that. Together with the overseers and deacons. So how are churches to be organized? By what two positions? Overseers and deacons. Just use the words that's in front of you, and then we'll add to that in just a moment. But how should the churches be organized? By what? Overseers and deacons. And I showed you that overseer can also mean elder, that those words are interchangeable. Now, what some people try to do is take one of the fivefold ministries called pastoring and put it now in the place of elder, and they say that those are synonymous as well as overseer and elder. But that is not true. Elder and overseer are synonymous terms, similar terms that can be used, interchangeable. Pastors are not. Pastors do, or excuse me, elders do the work of pastoring, but the actual gift is not synonymous with elder. And the reason why I, I clarify that, because I was just talking with another person, and they were trying to say that the gifts of prophet and apostle are no longer around, but, you know, pastor, teacher is now an elder. And they were trying to say it morphed into that. That is not true. And then I said, well, that's good for the pastor and teacher, I guess, but what about the evangelist? How do you fit that in there? You know, so the, the evangelist is kind of the... Um, the, the odd gift out that shows their way of thinking, Juan, is incorrect. So any people who deny the modern-day gift of apostle and prophet show the weakness of their argument by not having a place for the evangelist. And therefore, we take our argument and say the apostle and prophet is just like the evangelist. They are not mentioned a lot in the church, they are not shown to have a set of requirements, but they are there 
mainly Philip is known to be an evangelist because uh, to add a little bit more meat to the bone here of their, of their false argument, because I say to them, well, where is the, um, the qualification? Let me back up and say it this way. They'll say the, the apostle and prophet are no longer around for today because there are no qualifications for them of how to be appointed. So how would you make an, a new apostle? How would you appoint a new prophet? So what do I say right back to him? Well, show me the qualifications for a pastor. Show me the qualifications for a teacher, an evangelist. And then that's where they begin to go down through this rabbit trail of trying to say pastor-teacher qualifications are the qualifications of an elder. And, and you can even see it on the Assembly of God website and how they'll try to do that. Believe it or not, the Assemblies of God as a denomination does not accept the modern-day gift of apostle and prophet. And you can look at their... Um, their statement of, not the statement of faith, but their positional paper on the subject. And so I went through it thoroughly with another person, and I was showing them that they're inconsistent. Even if they were right, even if they were right, that they could take the pastor-teacher ministry gift and apply it synonymously to the overseer or the elder office, that position. Even if they could do that, they can't do it for the evangelist. And therefore, to, to be consistent, they would then have to say that the ministry position of an evangelist, prophet, and apostle are no longer around. Is that a price that they want to pay? No, of course not. They, they see no reason to take out the gifting of an evangelist, though they'll try to find reasons with the apostles and prophets. And I don't have time to get into that. That wouldn't be appropriate for this, this subject. It would be a fun rabbit trail. But I will say this, the simplest way to look at it is the way that I have presented it to you guys in the 201 book, Disciples That Make Disciples and Discipleship-Based Churches. And that is that these are the two offices, elder slash overseer and deacons. Those are the only two positions that we have job descriptions for and a way to anoint and appoint them. Those are the only two offices that we have. The fivefold ministry gifts of Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, um, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, those are gifts that are given without qualifications, without ordinations. Those are gifts that can be given, like Paul said, by the laying on of hands or directly by the Holy Spirit. But... For those who have these ministry gifts to be used in the church, they must have the qualifications of an elder or a deacon. And it's not just an elder, the higher position, because Philip was a deacon but was also called an evangelist. Does everybody see that? And so just to tie it together, go to 1 Peter chapter 5. It helps them to see it. Because, yes, elders do the work of pastoring, but they're also apostles, too. Elders can be all of those different ministry gifts. So it's not just limited to pastoring. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter writing, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. But wasn't he, by everyone's definition, an apostle? He was an apostle, yes or no? Yes. Now, some people's definition is you can only be an apostle if you traveled and knew Jesus and maybe had an exception to that rule if you lived with the apostles like some of the others, Barnabas, or you, you met Jesus uh, and had a personal encounter like Paul. So they'll say primarily 
There's the 12 apostles, and then some, some will then say there's other apostles, but they're only qualified to be apostles because they were with the other apostles. So it's really apostles of the apostles in the apostolic age. If you're outside of that, then in their mind, it's impossible. It's impossible to be an apostle. But there is no expiration date given to any of the fivefold ministry gifts. And here we see that it's not just, uh, just pastors that are going to be uh, called elders or elders that pastor, but also apostles. Because he says, I am a fellow elder, and we know he's an apostle. Then he says, be shepherds, which is the same word for pastor. That's what it means. Be pastors or shepherds of God's flock. Okay, so their argument may have some legs right there to say that elders will pastor. And I do believe that, that every office, elder and deacon, will have pastoring involved and will have teaching. Because if we're supposed to be disciples that make disciples by teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded, then certainly you have to have the gift of pastoring and teaching to do that, okay? And the reason why we put those together is because in the Greek, there's room for them to be a hyphenated, a hyphenated gift, so there may only be a five-fold ministry, and then that would do away with all the hand examples. But I like to still see it as, as two differing ones. Pastoring is one, teaching is another one. But if you've gone to a class here and, and the professor's done, done his or her job well, they've probably told you about the Greek there and that it can be also known as a pastor teacher, and that would just be one gift, Okay. Now, they can make the point and say, yeah, uh, elders, pastor. That's true. Elders are going to teach. And you could even go to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Elders are going to do the work of an evangelist. Well, then if we're going that direction, let's just keep going. I wish that every one of you would prophesy so everyone can be prophets. And that everyone is to be sent out. There's an apostle. So, I mean, if you want to make it as vague as doing the work of something makes you that something, doing the work of a pastor makes you a pastor, then truly all Christians have the fivefold ministry in them. And that's actually more similar to what I believe. Just like you have all the, 12, uh, all the nine gifts uh, available to you by the Holy Spirit, you have all five of the gifts because doing those works Doing those actions of ministry doesn't put you in a different office all of a sudden. Your office, your position is elder or deacon. So I am an elder that does the work of an apostle, am sent out, starting churches. And so we kind of make this structure so that people can see. Then there are elders who work with the apostle who has been sent out to do pastoring and teaching. And then there are those who do the governing who help and serve. But truly, we could put elder before all of those. This is a prophetic elder. This is a teaching elder. We just tried to make a structure that could flow and be, be effective. But if I had to give up the, tide, uh, the gifts before the title of the office, I'm totally okay with that. If at some point in our church we just said, it's getting a bit confusing, confusing who's an apostolic elder, who's a pastoral elder, who's a governing elder, and, and deacons don't have any adjectives before their names, like who's an evangelizing elder, uh, an evangelizing deacon, etc. If people said that's getting too confusing, as it just was, I think, confusing the way I explained it right now, uh, I would just take it all off and just go back to elders and deacons. Just elders and deacons. What are we in the church? Elders and deacons. What do I think one of my primary gifts is? Well, I think it's doing the work of an apostle. What do I think, like Lord, one of Lawrence's primary gifts is, is being a prophet? What do I think one of uh, 
TJ's primary gifts is being a, an evangelist. Okay, but just every, it could just be simplified, elders and deacons. But because, as we confess in our monthly confession, we believe in the apostles and prophets and elders and deacons, symbolizing the gifts and the offices, we want to somehow incorporate that into the titles that are given in, in the church. But once again, going back now to the notes, please, we see that the church should be based on this. And why is that so important? Because most problems that happen in the church, if you could leave it up to where we were, uh, where we were discussing, thank you, most problems come from bad leadership. Most problems, listen to me, in the church come from bad leadership. And if you don't have good leadership, you can't fix bad leadership. And part of good leadership is having good leadership structure. So it should be odd to us that someone has a position in a nonprofit but doesn't have a position in a local church. You must first and foremost be a church man or woman. You must be grounded in the local authority of the church. There are no parachurches in heaven. There is only the church in heaven, the bride of Christ. It's not like the bride of Christ comes with some of her handmaidens. Oh, this is my parachurch, the YMCA. I'm bringing her with me. Uh, th this is the other parachurch, the, the universities, etc. No, every professor, every president is no greater than the local church. Every person in any capacity doing something in the name of Jesus should have a position as either elder or deacon in their local church, period. There is no other means of authority. Well, I'm such and such director at this outreach, but I'm not quite involved in the church yet. That's a problem. You need to be involved in your local church, the local assembly of the believers. He's not writing to a Bible college. He is not writing to a, a, um, a non-for-profit. He's not writing to an after-school program. Does everybody get that? So if you were here in this congregation, you would be one of three people. Elders, deacons, and a, saints are elders and deacons, but watch this. You'd be one of three people, a saint that's an elder, an overseer, a saint that's a deacon, or a saint that ain't an elder or a deacon. <laughs> but once again, if you want to have authority in Christ, whether it's in a nonprofit or whether or not it's in a Bible college or whatever, you need to be seated in these positions. Now, Sometimes move, people move from one position to another or from one city to another, and they take breaks or do whatever. That's between them and God. But everyone has to have this in their mind that I, if I am going to be a leader in the body of Christ, I need to be an elder or deacon. That's number one. Number two, all problems will be settled with elders and deacons. All problems will be settled there. It's not board members according to the, you know, the, the rules of etiquette that we have in the United States of America. Uh, someone, uh, Lauren Google, the rules of etiquette for board meetings. It's somebody's rules. It's a name before the, the rules. It's somebody's etiquette that we follow. We do that to follow like Romans 13. As long as it doesn't violate our religion, we will be a 501c3. We will have a board, etc. And I think it's Robert's Rules of Order or something. And uh, we'll motion to, to vote on something and to do those kinds of things. But those uh, rules of order... Rules of order, Robert's rules of order or something. Look it up for me, please, Lauren. Uh, those are not biblical. The way you solve problems in the Bible is according to elders and deacons hearing from God and there being a consensus among the chief leaders of the elders. Now, that doesn't mean you have to stay in a place 
where that happens, you can go find another group of elders that you want to go agree with. So you're not stuck in that kind of a church. What is it called? So it's Robert's Rules of Orders. Thank you. And so you're not stuck to stay there, but you, if you're going to be biblical, you ought to stay there unless it's an issue of doctrine or sin. We ought not to treat the local government of the church like it's a grocery store that we can leave and go to another one because we like the way they, you know, sell their vegetables or, the, you know, we like the way they check out the, the, the groceries. It's easier. Their lines are shorter. That's not the way you pick and choose churches. Those who do that dishonor the government of God. And, and I'm telling you guys, it's because I believe in a literal millennial reign. Those folks will learn that lesson while you're ruling over them. Everybody get this. We will not be the same in the millennial reign of Christ. We will all not be judged with the same rewards in the millennial reign of Christ. Those who do get to heaven but were dysfunctional, everybody get this, they were dysfunctional in the government of God upon the earth, they will learn that in the kingdom to come. They will learn function, they will learn order, they will learn respect. They will learn those things in the kingdom of God. So if uh, Lawrence is the governor of Rockford and he's ruling and reigning on behalf of Christ and somebody is starting a business and doesn't like his rules and how he's ordering things in that city and they now try to go over to Peoria, Peoria will not allow them to do that until, he has, until they have made things in order with Lawrence. I believe in a literal thousand-year reign. So you guys have to see the way I am as a pastor on this earth in this age. The reason why I believe in order, even if it doesn't matter, even there were times when there was three people in the church and I still had to set order. The reason was is because the entire time I'm thinking to myself, my master has given me little. He's going to judge me on that on whether or not I get much. How many more parables could Jesus have told us about how it was going to be on judgment day? How many more times could he have used the examples of either stewardship or multiplication with bags of gold or being a shrewd manager? How many more times could he have said it? I mean, literally, on the day of judgment, we will see people's stupidity in the body of Christ where they acted like this was not happening. And God is going to embarrass them in front of his congregation to show that the reason why they are where they are now in his kingdom is because they foolishly ignored all the plain and easy to grasp things that he was teaching. He continually taught about it. He said to his disciples, you're going to sit on thrones. You're going to sit on thrones. Listen, people will follow the, the rulership and the leadership of Peter. People are going to follow, and I believe Paul is the 12th, okay? They are going to follow the leadership of the 12 apostles. We will be going to Jerusalem to settle our issues. They will judge us. They will be our judges upon the earth. Now, after that, I think God will give us another set of rewards on how we go for eternity. So I might go for Peter's throne and <laughs> compete with him, uh, half kid, but we'll see how that works out after the, the millennial reigns. But for a thousand years, now somebody's like, would that be rebellious? No, I'm, I'm going to be, I believe wherever I am and whatever age I am in, I will be ambitious for the Lord. Amen. Once you want to be the best for Jesus, that's why we didn't put a hundred up there or a thousand up there. We put a hundred thousand. We're ambitious for Jesus. He said, ask of the nations. We said, yes, Lord, we will. We'll give it a shot. 
So for a thousand years, we will rule and reign with Christ. Think about how five seconds of time goes by right now. That's how five seconds of time is going to go by then. Think about how even now people agree and disagree in the church over certain things, and there has to be ways to settle those problems. That will be the same thing then. We're all not going to be walking around as zombies knowing everything perfectly. We will be growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. We will be growing in our understanding of Jesus Christ. We'll be growing in our understanding of how to rule and reign with Christ. And so going back to the reason why I brought that up, most of the problems today in the church is because of bad leadership. And the reason why there's bad leadership is because there's bad leadership structure. They're voting on things that they should simply be listening and obeying. We don't vote on whether or not we do the things of God. We listen and obey. I know that you guys trust me that way because I am transparent. But there was a time at the beginning when we were deciding to go back to services after COVID where I let the uh, elders and deacons vote. And everybody had different reasons, and they can tell you their vote for whatever reason they said. And I was okay with that. So it was first my fault to even give them the vote. But I did. But this was not a thing to vote on. God did not tell me to vote. God, I believe, was already telling me what I needed to do. But I wanted to push it off to others because I had a feeling that if we go in this direction, certain things will happen. I had no idea that it would happen the way it did. I'm just saying I just wanted to make it easier on myself. Hey, you guys vote. You make the decision. You know, I'll be okay. But then my heart was grieved. My wife's heart was grieved. And we've never gone against a vote that the congregation or the elders and deacons have come up with that I can think of. I mean, I don't know if you can think of one. I can't think of one. And all the years I've been leading the church, normally if it's brought to a vote at that point, I take my hands off and I go, you know, to God be the glory, speak to the people. But then I felt the Lord say to me through looking at that church, Elam Pentecostal Church, that they were willing to reopen that weekend, that I was supposed to open with them, that we were not supposed to let them be by themselves, that they were not supposed to take that on themselves, that we were supposed to stand with them. And so I went to the church and I said, please forgive me for not doing this right. I now know I should have simply prayed and then came to you with a decision. Now some of you might feel like your vote is not important, but the problem isn't your vote. The problem was that I gave you a choice to vote on this. And then guess what? I didn't know anything about Pastor Christian. That's his name of the church. But he had gone through the very similar thing, but he did it the right way. He came to his folks and he said, this is what I have to do as a pastor. The Lord has told me I must open the doors and we must have church. If you as the church cannot do that, because he's part of a church that he hasn't started, so he was voted in and he still respects and honors their authority because, you know, they've been a church there before him. And he said, if you can't do that, then I have to go. So if you will not allow me to open the church, then this is my resignation. So for him, it wasn't a voting thing. It was either they were going to open the church or he was going to go do something else. And praise God, they trusted their pastor. So we're not making these decisions based on doctrine or integrity. It's not like I came to the church and said, I'm going to be taking a second wife. And uh, we're not voting on it. I'm just going to introduce her to you now. This is now my second wife, and we're going to start practicing polygamy. It's not that I came before the church and I said, hey, I now believe that Jesus is a created being. I've been convinced of the redonkulous arguments of Jehovah Witnesses. And now we're going to teach that Jesus is simply like an angel, a higher being than humans that was created to be our Lord and Savior, etc. No, as a matter of fact, in our church bylaws, which we do honor, we put there our doctrines and beliefs and code of conduct. You don't even have to wonder if 
well, what's, the, what's the procedure if Joe's off? It already says what will what happen if Joe's off. And guess who wrote that? Joe did. <laughs> you know why Joe did? Because Joe wants to fear the Lord. And Joe wants you to fear the Lord. And so I didn't just say the, the, you know, the doctrines are whatever we decide that week. And, you know, we're a Christian church. You know, you could have made it sound vague but spiritual. We're a Christian church that's going to love God. And the pastor is going to be required to be an outstanding citizen of the community. No, like I listed off things. If I start using vulgarity, if I start looking at pornography, if my marriage is not in order and there is something against me according to my wife or children in the home, you know, like these became very, very clear. Like Joe's not getting away with this. Or the leader, it's not my name, but it's the leader, you get it. But it was Joe writing it for Joe. It was Joe writing it by God's grace saying, Joe, we'll be accountable to Jesus. Listen to me, Joe, you will be accountable. You know, because I've seen pastors lose their mind and then convince their congregation to do otherwise. And I fear God too much. So the churches of, of, of every country, nation, it doesn't matter where they are, need to be organized according to overseers and deacons, elders and deacons. Grace and peace, the standard greeting to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because the Father is called God in this context and Jesus is called Lord, does that mean Jesus is not also God? Is Jesus God? He is also God. Is the Father also Lord? Yes, because Lord and God are simply titles for divinity. And for Paul's writings, going along with most of the, the New Testament church, God is going to be applied to the Father and Lord to Jesus. And I don't have it here, but the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Ahad. Three are one. And we understand this is how God has made us. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You'll see three there as well, as well. Just to tie that together, because I know you guys like to see the enumeration of three. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish. In, over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the, the land. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The enumeration of God and creation is three, separated by the commas there. God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so the way some might see this is the Father created God in his own image. In the image of Jesus, he created them. Male and female, the Spirit created them. Does everybody see? It's enumerated three times. Something to see there as God has put us in his image, the triune God. Now, going back to our notes, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul keeps going, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, we would assume that now he's going to be speaking as the Father. Remember, he just gave us the key at top to understand. Most of the time when he's going to be referencing God now, it's going to be referring to who? The Father. And when he references the Lord, who is it going to be referring to? Jesus, exactly. I thank my God 
Every time I remember you, he had fond memories of them because remember he was a traveling apostle starting churches in various areas. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's excited that he gets to partner with them because they're so enthusiastic to serve the Lord. At the end of this book, we're going to hear that at this time, they were the only church that was giving to him financially when the others either couldn't or wouldn't. He is thankful for their partnership. He says now in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I haven't brought this up before. Here's another good nuggie. In the Old Testament, what is this day normally referred to? The day of the... Come on, Juan, I'm looking at you. In the Old Testament, it's normally referred to the day of the, the Lord. And the Lord there is... Is No, but in the Hebrew, what is the word Lord? The day of Yahweh. Now notice in the New Testament, Paul, the theologian that he is, now without any qualms, without any need to explain, substitutes the name of Jesus for the name of Yahweh. The day, the day of Yahweh. The day of Jesus. Once again, if you can own a day, you must be somebody special. If you are the creator and the sustainer and the, and the whole entire reason for that day, you must be God. No, no wonder that the false gods named our days of the week. Saturn, Saturday. Thor's day, Thursday. Friday, Fry is the, the name of a god. Lunar day, moon god, Monday. You guys understand that your days were named after God. Sunday, named after the god of sun. The day of the Lord, according to the Hebrews, is the day that belongs to God to set everything right. Paul now has no problem calling it the day of Jesus, once again showing us that the Lord that Jesus is is not just any old kind of Lord, like a landlord or Lord of the manor. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. We will hear that in Philippians 2. Here we also know that whatever God has begun in us, he will complete. Some people who believe in once saved, always saved, say that, can God fail? No, you would say back to them, well, are you saved now? And you would say yes. And then they would say, well, can he fail at saving you to the very end? And you would say no. And then, you would and then they would say back to you, well, then how would you backslide then? If God says he's going to complete in you what he started, and you're one of the ones he started something in, then how is he going to allow it to fail? He can't. It's his reputation, not even yours. Once again, I've explained this to you, but it's good to remind everyone. If we know today there is a plane leaving from Chicago to Miami, and we can just know the future and know that it will not fail to go from Chicago to Miami. Does that mean that I will stay on that plane, get on that plane? No. God's not going to fail saving whoever wants to be saved, so you have to get to that plane. Now that I'm on that plane, do I have a choice whether or not to stay on the plane that will not fail getting to Miami? Yes or no? I do have a choice. I could walk out of that plane. Let's say they allowed me to walk out of a plane in the middle of the air, okay? <laughs> If they could allow me to walk, or just think of a ship. Let's do a ship. Well, let's say we knew for a fact that there was a ship that was leaving from New York to London. We knew for a fact that it was going to make it from New York to London. No problem. Does that mean 
if you go on that ship and you leave the harbor, that that means automatically you're making it to the end, even though the, the captain is 100% certain that it's going to London, that the ship and its hull is 100% certain that it will make it to London, does that mean it's 100% certain you're going with that captain on that ship to London? No. So am I confident that everyone who remains in Christ Will have the work of salvation com completed in them? Absolutely. And we'll hear more about that later. And that's why there are scriptures that contradict the one saved, always saved. But the thing that he's confident of is that whoever stays and is with Christ, as it says in the prior verses, in Christ, whoever remains in Christ, will have the work completed. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's say that day sitting in there in you know, the Philippine church, the, the Philippian church, is somebody who has turned their back on God, one of the ones that are going to be rebuked later on in Paul's letters or something. Do you think because now Paul said all of you, are, I'm confident that this is going to happen, that means that guy's going to heaven? The guy now sleeping with his wife, the one, you know, like in Corinthians, sleeping with his mother-in-law. You should sleep with your wife, I'm sorry, but the man, the man sleeping with another man's wife, you know. Yeah, you're going, I'm confident you're going to heaven too, Bubba. No, he, he sends out what would be considered like a universal call to everybody, all. So even if you had brought somebody there that day that was new to the church, you know, that wasn't even saved, like a visitor, is he saying now they're going to heaven, universalism? No, get his point. I'm confident that all of you who are what? In Christ, who are in the gospel, as it says in verse 5, that this will happen for you. That, in other words, there's none of you who have dedicated your life to Jesus in the gospel that will be disappointed in the end. That there's not going to be some extra thing, some secret knowledge, some extra work you have to do to have this blessing of the completion of your salvation. No, this is going to happen. And we're going to understand the, the completion of salvation is not our sanctification. The completion of our salvation, according to Philippians chapter 3, is going to be the resurrection of our body. That's what's going to come up. And when he says, I am not yet perfect, that's what he's talking about. I have not yet been completed in my physical body. Because then he'll go down a few more verses and say, whoever is perfect, have this mind in you, walk worthy of the gospel and do these things. Because though we're not perfect in our body, we're perfect in our spiritual nature. Hence, at the beginning of the letter, being called saints. Amen? So God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Because they're sharing in the gospel. They're defending the gospel as well as they're offending their apostle, defending their apostle. Notice here that they are not ashamed of their leaders. And that they see their leaders as a living representation of God. Just like Jesus said, who's my, who is my mother, brother, and sister? Those here are doing my will. You don't need to go to Mary. Go to, the, go to, the, um, to one of these women that are following me, which is also named Mary. You know, Go to her. You don't need to just find my mother. You don't need to go look for one of my brothers that Mary had as well. Look for Peter. You will find me. He also said in Matthew 28 that you know what you've done unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done unto me. We are to see that Christ is in his church that we are representations of Jesus. After Jacob wrestled with the Lord and saw his brother Esau, he said, your face reminds me of God. 
Isn't that amazing? That after he had wrestled and saw God face to face, which shows us that Jesus is the Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, wrestling with him and appearing in these different times in history, Jacob now sees another human being and says, you have the face of God. You look like the one I was just wrestling with. Isn't that amazing? We were made in the image of God. And sometimes people defile that image, and they do evil things with that, and they hurt people, others, with, with, their, with their evil. And we should forgive them and love them and hope the best for them. But always remembering they're made in the image of God. And so Paul says, I can testify that I long for you with the affection of Christ. And that's the kind of relationship that I have with you guys, just being gone a few weeks in Florida. It's sunny, but the sun can't replace the love that I have for you guys. I just wish that the equator would shift a little bit and we would get it up here or you guys just come down there with me or something, you know. But uh, I know that I'm called to this city. But I'm telling you, even as fun as vacations are, seeing different places, this is where I belong. This is where I belong with you. And though some now are traveling to other cities, I can't wait to see them, like for the Mardi Gras uh, time when we go to Dallas. Isn't that going to be the fun, fun to see what these saints are doing there for God? And you're going to feel that, and I'm sure many of you are, for the youth or the ministries that you're in. Let's go to verse 9. And this is my prayer. Now we get to hear the prayer of Paul. That your love may abound more and more, and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here we see Paul's prayer. And his prayer is that people will know God more. As I've said before, it's good repeating. That's why we go through the doctrines. The doctrines aren't the boring stuff. And then everything else is the fun stuff. You know, experiencing God, worshiping, healing, signs and wonders. It's the doctrines that ground those things. It's the doctrine that grounds the healings, the prophecies. Otherwise, how are we going to discern what is a real prophecy and what's not a right prophecy? How are we going to know we're not worshiping an angel of light instead of Jesus? An angel can appear to us as an, you know, as, uh, excuse me, as a, de a demon can appear as an angel of light. How did Joseph Smith get so deceived? How did, how did Muhammad get so deceived? Because he, both of them did not know to recognize a demon or a spirit like that. And so they were deceived. And we have to guard our heart from those things. And that we are to discern what is best. We are to take the word of God and live by it as our manual and not divert from it. Know what is best. What is best for the situations that we're in. And notice this. We are to be pure and blameless. We're not to keep hoping one day we'll be pure. One day we'll be blameless. But we are to be kept. We are to be kept blameless. Kept pure. So go to the King James. Go to... Um, yeah, go to the, the, the uh, yeah, Logos and go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. No, as a matter of fact, go to the Internet. Go to Bible Hub. Just Google it and then look for Bible Hub, Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. Because I believe there is a word kept in here. And if it's not here, it's, it says it in other places. That we are to be kept blameless. You remember the example that I've said that some people look at themselves dirty, always being made clean over and over and over again, but they're never yet quite clean, 100% clean. But that's the opposite of Christianity. In Christianity, at day one, you're made 100% clean. And then you cooperate with the Holy Spirit to remain clean. Does everybody remember that example that I gave you guys? Okay, Philippians 1, verse 10, please. I want you to hear it in the terms, kept blameless, kept pure, okay? Yeah, 1 verse 10. We got to put the, the, uh, the colon there. Yeah, I'll just hit on it. Yeah, let's see if this happens. That should be good. 
See if it, it got you there that way. 1 verse 10. Ah, now you're not, just put in Philippians chapter 1 verse 10, please. Philippians chapter 1 verse 10. Do you think that's a good example about the cup that I like to give, Lawrence? Because I believe it's helpful. Because people think, I'm always cleaning my cup. I'm always cleaning my cup. Well, when does your cup ever get clean? Well, one day when I get to heaven, I'll be clean. Is that the language of the Bible? No, the language of the Bible is keep it clean. No, you've already hit that, so don't do that. Okay, you're not putting in the colon there, and it's not picking it up as the way, way it should. Put in, well, there you go. Now hit it. There you go. And the first one that should come up should be Bible Hub. Let's see. There you go. See how we just did that? This is good for you guys. Anytime you want to see other translations, just put in the scripture and then look for Bible Hub. Okay, to discern what is best. Okay, you live pure lives. Okay, keep going. English Standard. Okay, so you may test and approve. Keep going so that you may be pure, that you may be sincere. Okay, kept is not in those translations. I'm going to find it for you guys now on my phone. Give me just a second. Kept, blameless, and pure. Kept, blameless, and pure Bible. Okay. That is first, uh, you, no, yeah, go to uh, Philippians 2.15, so that you may become, may be, no, that's still in the present, that you may become, that you will prove, I want to get kept. There's, there's one that's kept, let me see. There we go, First uh, Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 in Bible Hub, please. Of course, in the present, Paul is always going to pray, may you be, may you be blameless and pure. That doesn't take away, in, in, in the Bible uh, software, please, that's not going to take away the injunction that you are to be that because he's praying for you to be that. But I love when it says you already are that and you are to be kept that. Do you get the distinction that I'm making, one? Because I can pray for you. May you be pure. And that may give people the understanding that, well, maybe I'm not pure. But, but first and foremost, if Paul is praying it, doesn't he expect it? If I say to my children, may you get the boogies out of your nose, am I expecting them to get the boogies out of their nose or to walk around with boogies the whole day with, you know, in their nose? So even if someone thinks at times Christians can have sin as a normal uh, a mode of existing, is not the prayer, may you be, may you be now in the present, in the present, blameless and pure. Is that not enough to teach us that if we are, even as a Christian, sinful, that at that moment we hear the command of the apostle, we should repent and become blameless and pure, right? But now notice the language here, be kept, be kept. First Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. So that's his prayer. I want everybody sanctified wholly, entirely. That's the prayer. So we all ought to be an answer to Paul's prayer. Amen. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be what? Kept blameless. Keep it blameless. Kept blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means no matter who you are, at verse 23, when Paul starts praying for you, you don't have an excuse anymore to have sin in your life. The moment someone prays for you, I want you to be kept blameless, my brother. Can I pray that for you right now? 
Now, if I pray that for you, you're going to confess every known sin that you have in your heart, and anything you don't know, you're going to ask the Lord to reveal to you right now, right? So, Lord, pray. I mean, uh, pray to the Lord. Lord, set me free. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, pure me. You do that prayer. Now you're right there. You're, you're, you're pure, right? Now what's my second prayer? Lord, keep him blameless. Keep him, Lord, pure. Does this mean a Christian cannot sin? Yes, a Christian, uh, no, it doesn't mean a Christian cannot sin. A Christian can sin. But what are they to do? Quickly repent. Come back to God. Not let that, that, that sin turn into a root that leads to death. You are to keep, keep that sin out of your heart so you can keep the purity in. Amen. That, I mean, that's the apostle speaking there. Going back to the notes. Can I get some water, please, Lauren? And then a mint as well. Thank you. So that's his prayer. And that not only you'll be kept blameless and pure, but you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So that righteousness is continually flowing out of your life. And that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Remember, he's been arrested. He was arrested in Philippi. If you remember, and God set him free, but then he gets arrested in Jerusalem, and that's where he is now. This is also known as a prison letter, okay? So he says, I want you to know this is, this is served for the advancement of the gospel. Thank you so much. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Uh, uh, Jesus said, when you go before governors and leaders, don't think about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words. That's not because you're going to, uh, you know, play video games all night and then ask the Lord to give you the words to the test. No, you're going to study to show yourself approved, study yourself full, and God's going to preach you empty. Have you take the test and empty yourself out. But I love what Joe B. said. How is he going to get us before kings and priests? Most of the time it's probably going to be because we're arrested. It's not going to be because they're giving us awards. And so it says here, it's actually served for the advance of the gospel that I've been arrested. Why, Paul? Why is it served for the advance of the gospel? Because now all of these Roman guards know about Jesus. Everybody knows about Jesus, that I'm in chains for Jesus. Not only do we find prosperity in Jesus, we also find chains. No cross, no crown. No cross, no crown. Carry the cross and you'll receive a crown. Amen? Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because he was preaching and willing to suffer, now it's causing a revolution. Just like the one I told you about in Cali, Colombia, the pastor who died and was martyred by the drug cartel caused a revival to come where the churches became courageous and started preaching and going back to the streets and having public meetings again. Sometimes it takes the death or the persecution of a group of people or a certain individual for the rest of everybody to get behind the move of God. It's not that we should have a martyr wish or a death wish, but we should all be willing to be the spark that causes revival. What if the next riot that we're a part of, like the one we were at Nini, someone dies? Will that be what closes down the church and makes us all feel that we've messed up? Or for their sake and the sake of Christ, will we now continue on, no longer being afraid? If Lawrence can lose his life for Christ, I'll lose my life for Christ. If one of these people showed me that we're not to fear death, then I won't fear death. I'll be emboldened by the witness of the, the apostles and prophets, the people going out. Amen? Verse 15. 
It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So there are some that are just doing it for their own sake, to get known, to have money, to get popularity, to be an ambulance chaser, to always be controversial. The latter do so out of love, like him. He's one that preaches gospel out of love, knowing that I'm here for uh, the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now notice he's there for the defense of the gospel. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, we don't need to defend the gospel. We don't need to debate. Well, you don't need to be at church either, I guess. You don't need to be teaching me. If that's what you think, you don't need to be reading Paul then. Or you don't need to be saying that anymore. Stop saying that. Paul debated. Paul was in defense of the gospel continually. Now, Paul defending the gospel is like a mouse defending a lion. A lion doesn't need you to defend them. If you're a mouse, does that lion need you to defend it? No, God doesn't need us to defend it, but is it still right for the mouse to defend the lion if something was being said about the lion? We're thinking about the jungle book now, I guess, and animals talking. If something was being said about the lion that wasn't true, wouldn't it still be good for the mouse to pipe in and go, hey, everybody, oh, this is my best Mickey Mouse voice. Hey, everybody, uh, what you guys are saying about the lion is not true. The lion's really awesome, and the lion's a good person, and we should all listen to the lion. Thank you, little lion. I mean, little mouse. You know? Yeah, like, shouldn't the mouse still defend the lion if the lion is right? The lion doesn't need it. We never said God needed our defense. God doesn't need me to debate for him. I never said that. That's called a false dichotomy. Either you debate because God needs you or you don't debate because he doesn't need you. No, that's a false dichotomy. How about we debate, though he doesn't need us, but because it's needed to the people. To the people. They need the argument. I know God doesn't need me to argue. I understand that. This person does. There are some we argue with and others we walk away from. Some are pigs and dogs and we don't throw it to them anymore. Others we stay with them in reason and debate all night long as Paul did in other places. God leads us to do that. And we'll work with other groups that may disagree with that, but they disagree with Paul. Paul was very clear. I'm here for the defense of the gospel. Not that it needs my defense, but the people need it to be defended in front of them. And the church needs to see me defend it. And it, and it was an honor for him to defend the gospel, to speak up on behalf of the gospel, to tear down the arguments and false ideas that came against the gospel. And it's, it's still happening today. If you want to hear people attack Paul, listen to a Muslim or a Jew. You're think, you'll think you're living in Bible days, listening to the Pharisees and Sadducees attacking Paul. Well, Paul was this. Well, Paul was that. Well, Paul was like that. We don't listen to Paul's writings. I'm telling you, you listen to a modern-day Jew or a Muslim, they will attack Paul the same way he was attacked back then. And now we defend Paul on behalf of the gospel. But that was happening then. People were attacking Paul. People were attacking the gospel. And he was making defenses. It's okay to smile, TJ. It's all right. Go ahead and smile. There you go. Crack it. Crack it a little bit more. Let me see those pearly whites. It's hard to smile right now, isn't it? I've been noticing you're not smiling. Do you know what's going on in his life? Okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to pray for you, okay? But it's okay to smile. Even if I don't know the worst day that's ever happened to you, just smile because Jesus loves you, okay? Can you smile one more time for me? <laughs> there you go. Whatever problem we're facing, we're going to do it with the joy of the Lord. Amen? 
But what does not matter? He says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So even though some people do it wrong, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. See, you got something to rejoice about. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. How many will continue to rejoice? You can't continue something unless you've started it. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And notice now that the Spirit belongs to Jesus Christ. It's not only the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of Jesus. Come on, do you ever hear that of the Spirit of Michael, the Spirit of Gabriel, an angel? No, we know that they have spirits, we know that people have spirits, but the Spirit of God to now be substituted with the Word, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, just like the day of the Lord to be substituted with the day of Jesus. We haven't even gotten to Philippians 2 where it says, He being in the very nature of God. We've already learned He's God all the way in chapter 1. None of these things are even said with explanation. They're just substitutes that are supposed to show you how comfortable the apostles were with the divinity of Christ and His divine nature. He's basically saying, I know through your prayers what will happen is God will deliver me. And eventually he was delivered by death. They can no longer torture him now, can they? They can no longer mock him now. He was delivered by death. Sometimes we don't think death is a deliverance, but for, for, for us in our times of suffering, death will be a deliverance. God will deliver us, take us out of their hands, and they'll no longer be able to harm us. Verse 20. I eagerly expect, and I hope that in no way to be ashamed. So he didn't want to let down his, his testimony, his character. But I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's what our prayer needs to be, whether by life or by death. Christ be exalted in me. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die now, it's a gain. I win. I go to heaven. What's the worst thing that happens? I go to heaven. I see Jesus face to face. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. This doesn't mean he was suicidal. It's just saying, you know, if it was my choice, what would I choose? Hanging out with you guys, spreading the word more, seeing Jesus move on the earth, or go to be with Jesus in heaven? Boy, that's a tough choice if I was to make a choice. Verse 23, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, and everybody would say amen to that. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joining the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Here's a scripture against praying for the saints. If now saints can hear all of our prayers and answer all of our prayers and be intercessors, it would be good for us for more saints to be up there especially for Paul to be up there. He would be closer to Jesus. That's wrong. We're all close to Jesus, seated in heavenly realms, by the way. But he would be more perfect, though we're all perfect in Christ right now, right? But somehow he's going to be free from the body, which is true, and he's going to be in the presence of the Lord visibly. Okay, but does that work for our better? No, it actually works for our better with the living because on earth is where we pray with each other. On earth is where we encourage each other. Who have I in heaven but you, O Lord? I desire no one but you. In heaven, all we need is Jesus. And on earth, we need Jesus, of course, but he uses people as well to encourage us when we can't see him. When we're in heaven, we already know we can see him. And so we don't need another person in heaven. We just need more people on earth that we can see taking care of us because we already have one in heaven that knows and loves us. Verse 27, 
in closing of this chapter and for today. Whatever happens, life or death, he's talking about. In my life or in your life, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't lose your testimony. Don't give in to sin. Don't compromise. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in absence, I will know you stand firm in the one spirit. Once again, we've heard a lot about Jesus. We've heard a lot about the Father. The Holy Spirit's being mentioned more now. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. That's a word for us today. Walk worthy of the gospel. Do not be afraid of those who oppose you. Stand firm in the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. When you stood up for God during those times of persecution, brother, you were showing the world that you were on God's side and that they're going to be destroyed rightfully. God is showing you why they are going to deserve their judgment and they will remember how they treated us was really the way they treated God. Verse 29, here's the summary of all this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. In closing the first chapter, we learn a lot about Jesus. We learn a lot about the Father. We learn a lot about how Paul is praying for us. But we have to remember now it's our turn to work with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, following in the steps of Paul, even unto death. That's the gospel. The gospel is coming through Paul to these wonderful people in Philippians, and he's going to go right into some practical matters in the next chapter. And as he does, once again, he's not going to try to give them the new doctrine of the deity of Christ. He's actually going to use the doctrine of the deity of Christ to call for unity and humility in the church. Instead of talking about a story of how humble his dog was when he was a little boy that always used to go get the ball when he would throw it or tell some silly story for two hours and some illustration or instead of dressing up as some character on stage and entertaining everybody, the way he is going to teach humility and unity to his people is going to be using the doctrine of the incarnation. Wow. What an amazing way to pastor people. To understand the doctrine so clearly that when you want to make a point about a practical issue, about people not getting along, about there being pride in the church, that you feel so confident that the doctrines are the foundation of all behavior, all actions, that you can use the incarnation to make that point. And then he's going to go on to talk about his personal journey and that he's striving to see the resurrection. And if that means death, so be it. And then he's going to continue on with some more practical things for us to do. But I want us to see just this passage, if you could go up to, to include it all, starting with verse 27. When you see this passage here, include it all for me, please, so also show 30. Thank you. When you see this passage here, it, and yeah, as much as you can, thank you. You see that the gospel is worthy of our lives. And that's where I want us to end in prayer today. Amen. I'm willing to suffer for Jesus because Jesus suffered for me. I'm willing to give my life to him because he gave his life for me. I'm going to give, I'm going to give it 100% because he gave it all. Amen.
Let's uh, close in prayer. We'll shut this off as well, and then we'll pray for TJ. Come on up here, my brother. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And we thank you that by your grace we are saved because of him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to live for you and to live a life of abundance even if we suffer. So I pray in the midst of our suffering that we don't give up, we don't back down. We stay true to what you've called us to do, being confident that what you began in us you will complete. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.